getting ready to start a podcast. I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? I know. Theology. Theology. Unplugged. Welcome to Theology Unplugged. I'm Michael Patton, and we got a really good broadcast for you today. I mean, it's going to be so much fun, I think. I have no idea, really, actually, because I've got all these components I am trying to employ for this podcast, and it needs these components because this is such an important lesson. Those of you who have been through Theology Unplugged, you're going to know what I'm talking about immediately, but I've got a surprise for you. So you got to hang around. If you've been through Theology Unplugged, excuse me, Introduction to Theology in the Theology Program. If you've been through the Theology Program, Introduction to Theology, you're going to immediately know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, but I got a surprise for you. There, There is a surprise. So first of all, before I get going here, let me make sure that I lead you guys to the right places. Um, don't forget to subscribe. I think that's what I'm supposed to say. And don't forget to, I guess they say smash that, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not very good at, uh, doing the normal stuff that's trendy and stuff, but this is part, this is trendy, isn't it? But make sure you subscribe and, uh, hit the bell. That's it. Hit the bell. And then if you, feel so inclined to become a member of the Patreon. You will not only be supporting me in this ministry, uh, Credo House Ministries, Credo Courses Ministries, Theology Unplugged, everything we got going on. Okay. So that's, that's, it, it supports everything. So you can support the stream, support my ministry by pointing your camera at this and then you will be led to the right place and you'll get all kinds of rewards. I mean, you really will. It's worth every single penny even if you don't want to support me you're going to get so much great stuff you're you're going to love it so do that for me if you feel so inclined i'm gonna leave that up there just for a minute until i get the rest of this stuff going um we're going to be talking today about where do we go for truth and this is a this is a central this is this is a fundamental part of doing theology um this is what they teach at the very beginning. You you take out any systematic theology book. I mean, I've got 30 of them over here. You take out any of these. If they're worth anything, they're going to go through at the very beginning what, a, a section pro, called prolegomena, prolegomena, things you do beforehand before you do theology. So this is something that's so essential that you got to read. Nobody reads the prologue of any book. I know that. I don't even read them hardly. Well, sometimes I do. But prologues are supposed to be there to say you have to read this before you read the book or you're not going to understand what's going on that's really what they're there for no reason for a prologue otherwise so you got the prologue to theology prologue to thinking about god with your mind what do you got to do first and the first thing you really have to do is you have to settle on some sources for theology because if we're going to study, I mean, where, where do we go? I, the, the, you sit down with somebody and you say, hey, let's let's talk about theology. And you, you say, well, what are your sources for theology? Most of the time, people's sources are just their, 
their own opinions, their own thoughts. But where do those come from? Where do your thoughts and opinions about theology come from? Whenever you're settled on something about God, whenever you believe something about God, where where are your sources? Why do you believe it? That's the question, and that's the deal we're going to be dealing with today. And we're going to look at the different sources. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I really do have something new that I think is very interesting um, that I'm, that I'm wrestling with myself. I don't have a, anything settled here, but I'm trying to figure out where this new component fits whenever we're thinking about God. But of course, yeah, I'm going to bring a I'm going to bring a, a a new screen up here. Um, we we start. You know, I mean, the first thing if I if you were to, if I was talking to you and I say, "Hey, you're a Christian. Where do you go for theology? What would you say? What's the first thing you would say? You know what you would say." You'd say the Bible, right? I mean, at least that's what you're supposed to say. The Bible is my source for theology. Bible is my source for thinking about God. My Bible is my source for understanding the the purpose of life, the meaning of what 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 it is that I'm supposed to do on this planet. That's that's it. We're all placed here on this planet. We all try to figure out what it is to do. Normally, we just follow certain patterns, but where do we get these patterns from? And if you're thinking intentionally, if you follow the, the Socrates, I think it's Socrates. Yeah, Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. This is the fundamental part of examining your life. And I do agree with that. The unexamined life is not worth living. What are you living for? And what are your sources? How do you know what you know about things? Whenever, what, and another question is, this is this is a big question. If you watch uh, Conversations with Tad, you'll see that we've talked about this this uh, not too long ago, but not in any detail. I think we need to get into it more. But who is your authority? What is your authority? You might say, I'm my own authority. But again, what's the authority for making you who you are? And what you believe, what you think about God, what you think about ultimate ends and purposes in this life, why we are here, what is your source? This is called Sources for Theology. Uh, normally, that's what it's going to be called in a systematic theology book. This is where we go to, and we try to figure out where do we place our different sources. Again, if you're a Christian, the first place you probably go is the Bible. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up this stage. <laughs> you, you, a lot of you guys know, you know about the stage of truth. That's what I call it, the stage of truth. Um, and this is not original with me. I got to say that uh, some aspect of this was taught to me in seminary, the stage part of it, and kind of the shuffling things around. And um, and I, I've developed it a lot since then, but I give total credit to, I don't even know who it was. I think it was Jeffrey Bingham. I think Jeffrey Bingham did this. He was a guest teacher in one of my classes and he did the stage of truth and it, it, and it was just excellent. It was so excellent. It helped me out so much. And I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to try to make it on the fly here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up this right here. This is the stage. Okay. Let me see if I can make it bigger. Fill up the screen. Okay. There, there we go. This, this is the stage that we're talking about. And if you, it's the, I drew it, it's the best I could do. Okay. Sorry for you who are who are listening to this podcast and you're not watching it. You need to be watching it because it's it's great. It really is. I, I go to YouTube, go to Facebook, go to wherever uh, you get this at. YouTube's probably the best place. Go to Credo House at YouTube. But <clears throat> excuse me, this is the stage, and you got to think of it this way: 
This is the stage in your mind. And at the front, the further to the front something is, the more influence it has on you, it's the more authority it has in your life. Okay. The further to the front of the stage, the further back to the stage, the less authority it has in your life. Still has authority because it's on the stage. But sometimes uh, things get placed in the back. And, and this is part of what we have to think through. Like I said, it's a fundamental part of doing, doing theology, understanding God, trying to figure out how it is that we are to function in this life. So we have to think through this. We, we have to examine ourselves and our stage of truth that we have. So here, I'm going to start putting it together. Okay, first, we're going to start with the Bible. You can see the Bible up there. Now, let me see if I can make this work. Okay, I'm going to move the Bible. No, 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 close. I'm going to move the Bible, I think. No, I'm not. Let's done. Let's go to Bible and move. There we go. Okay, so I'm going to move the Bible, and I'm going to actually make it big for now. So some of us may start with this and say, well, the Bible alone is my source for God. The Bible is my loan, is my source for life. And I, I think that's that's great. It's it's great that you're that you're aspiring to something that I think you're trying to do what's right. But I don't think you're thinking well at this point, whenever you say the Bible alone. No, it's not that. It's I don't think you're thinking correctly. I don't think no matter what you say, the Bible alone, like this, is not your sole authority. You may say it's my main authority, but right now we've got all kinds of authorities we've got to deal with. So we'll start with a Bible. I'm going to leave it here on the stage and, and we're going to, we're going to look at other options. Now, first I'm going to go to this other place. This, uh, this is helpful. This is a screen you have seen if you have been through the theology program. So let's go over here and you've seen this guy, this poor guy. I mean, he's just he, he's just sitting here trying to figure out what in the world to do with his life. And he's sad. For those of you who can't see, it's a man sitting on a chair and he's just thinking. And he's sad. He looks sad. I don't know. I feel sorry for him. But what's his problem? Well, his problem is he's just just trying to think of, think of what, what he's here for. What is his purpose? What am I supposed to do with my life? That's, of course, a question we should all ask. It's a fundamental question that we should all ask. If we haven't asked it, we're just living life and, you know, just going through and it's an unexamined life. It's not worth living. Okay. So we're trying to make a life worth living. So the guy's trying to figure out what he believes about God. And these things represent some of the options. So first, if you look on the left-hand side, lower left, you've got culture. You've got, what does everybody else think about God? So where did you grow up? That's going to influence you quite a bit. I mean, where we live influences our theology. And so, I mean, you live in America and normally, you know, not always, of course, but normally you're going to grow up in some sort of Christian monotheistic household, but it's very different if you live in China or, or the Middle East, those places, you're going to see things differently. And maybe uh, in the Middle East, you'll, you'll grow up around an understanding of the Quran and Allah in uh, China, you'll grow up around this understanding of Buddhism. Uh, in India, you'll grow up in around an understanding of uh, polytheistic uh, pantheism with Hinduism. And so it's going to influence you. It really will. So that's part of, we got to understand this about ourselves. We got to understand where we get our stuff from and evaluate that, whether it's worthy. So you got culture, you got what mom and dad told you, kind of the same thing, a little bit different. But this is, this is very important because we, 
we always want to we always want to follow what mom and dad taught us. And that's what John Hanna told me in seminary one time. He's like, I'm going to teach you all kinds of great stuff, you know, about the history of the church and, and, and the Bible and just, you know, it's, it's just wonderful stuff in general, but all you're going to end up doing is going and believing what mom and dad told you whenever you were little. And I thought it was funny. And I, I think he was trying to be funny. Uh, I know he was trying to be funny. He's always trying to be funny, but, uh, it was it was impactful as well because that's true. We're so drawn to to what mom. You know, you get married and you do things like your dad did. You get married and you're a woman. You do things like your mother did, and we, we become our parents in so many ways. The apple does not fall for, fall far from the tree. Normally, with regard to beliefs as well. That's why I take my children and I try as hard as I can to show them that they are independent and that they have to think through this stuff on their own and that they, that, uh, there is no grandchildren in heaven. And so they have to adopt their own beliefs and truly consider that they might be wrong. That's very important to me in my raising of my children. I'm not saying I'm always right or I'm a great father or anything, but it's very important to me to say, you have the options. I, you, you can be wrong. I could be wrong. We've got to work through it with that assumption. Start with the assumption that I am wrong. What I've taught you all your life about God could be wrong. That's hard for me to say, but it is very true in order for them to adopt their own belief and also very true for us to be able to come to understanding of uh, truth. Okay, so back to this. You got what mom and dad told you, and then you also got what the creation tells you. I mean, whenever you, whenever you think about God, whenever you think about purpose, I mean, you look out and you you see creation and you try to understand God through creation, why he created the things he did and the, the solar systems and uh, the Milky way and where he placed us and the atmosphere. And I mean, just the beauty of the mountains, there's all kinds of things we look at and is very influential in our understanding of God. Many people look at the world and I say, do you believe in God? They say, of course I believe in God. You can't believe you can't not believe in God and look around and see what all of creation is you know people go to certain places of the world you know and in Hawaii or great mountains at the Rockies or wherever the Himalayas and they look at these things and they say there must be a God you look at creation you look at all the sea life and just the the variety of creation just incredible stuff out there I mean just stuff that blows your mind I mean not only the stuff that exists today but the stuff that has ex existed before and has gone extinct like dinosaurs and I mean it's just all this stuff that seems to have a design so you look at creation and creation tells you something about God but also we move to the upper one here and the upper one shows some hands praying and that is that that's expressing kind of your your spiritual life, your your experience. Uh, that's the best I got. I got another one for experience over here. This one's probably better. But I, I'm just talking about your experience. What has your experience told you about God? And th this is one of you talk about stuff like answered prayer. You know, you have I prayed to God and he's done something for me? What has my experience with God been? Have there been any miracles that I have seen? That kind of stuff, you know? Uh, so your own experience with God, your own experience in life, the directions you've been heading, you look back in hindsight on your life, then you see what has happened to lead you to where you're at. And that is very influential on what you think about God. So it is, it is an authority in your life. And then of course you got the Bible. Uh, we'll talk more about that later, but the Bible of course is an authority, right? I mean, 
in the Christian life, it is an authority. If you live here in America, it is. If you live in the West, Western world, it is an authority. It's the most influential book ever created. Doesn't make it right, but it is something we acknowledge that we have grown up under a system that uh, in the West where the Bible is authoritative. And then you also got this poor guy. Look, they don't look the same. That was back whenever he looked different, I guess. He had a little bit more hair. But there he is, and he's sad. He looks sad. What's going on here? Well, this is just an expression of your own emotions. So important. So important to recognize. We just have emotions. We have inclinations. We have feelings. We, uh, uh, what do we want to happen? That's kind of it. You know, you, what is your emotions built within you? I just want there to be a God. I just want there to be a heaven. And what you, oh, I just, and even this applies to parents, culture, and everything else. I just want us to be right. I want the home team to be correct. And so whenever you're thinking about God, whatever you've learned, whatever you already are comfortable with, that's what you want. That's your desire. And so we have that. Now, it may not always be the same. Maybe you grow up in a culture where, where there is no God or a family, there is no God. And I don't think necessarily you will always want there. You want to die and go into blackness. And so you may, but you may, may also want there to be nothing because of your experience, what you have done in your life, and you don't want there to be a God because you're scared. That's part emotion that's emotion working with experience and then finally you've got this preacher down here and the preacher is represents more of culture but what have you what you've grown up with what your what your church has taught you if you've been to church whatever religion you are that influences your your understanding of god really i mean as i sit here and think about this it's just all of these create a past and, and normally, again, what we are into right now, we are comfortable with. Moving to something new, we are not comfortable with. We don't like change. Nobody likes change, really. And so that is why we fight so hard for these things that I'm showing you that we already believe to be true. We want them to be true because we're already comfortable with them. So now we move back to this, and we're going to try to organize this because we've got all of these different ones that I just showed you. This is going to represent them. So I'm going to say them out loud so those of you who are not uh, are not watching, you can know what I'm talking about. But the first one here, we already got the Bible, but there's the family. That represents culture. So that's everything. That's tradition. The, the formal name for this is tradition, and that, that is it. So tradition right here, let me see if I can write that. Let me put a new slide, and I'm going to try to write. I'm just going to put a T. That'll work for that. Um, so tradition right here encompasses everything in your culture, in your family, in your church, in your upbringing. Everything in the past, too, like the history of the world, the history of where you've been, the, how you see history. Tradition is a big part of how we come to know God. What we believe about God, we want to be true. We want to keep it true. We want everything uh, to stay the same. Then also you've got the thinker, and this is rationality, okay? So this is a new one that I didn't really bring up beforehand. I don't know why it's showing up. It's not showing up on on the screen. Let me try to do it again. Oh, it showed up for a second, then it disappeared. See, look at that. There he is. Okay. So there's the thinker. This is rationality. This is just rationality represents this. 
I'll put an R by it. Let's see here. Go to R. I mean, go to writing. <coughs> this Think about it this way, rationality. Just think if there was no create. Just think if you get rid of all the other things in your mind and you say, what can we know about God just by thinking? Okay, only using our mind, only using our rationality. That's a good place to start with this one because what you do is you say, well, I mean, I already, as I think, I, I, I've been inbred with an understanding that uh, there's no such thing as contradictions, okay? Contradictions mean something is one thing and the other thing at the same time in the rela same relationship. Oh, A can't, can't let, here's the law of non-contradiction. A cannot equal B, non, let's do it this way. A cannot equal non-A at the same time in the same relationship. Your mind tells you that. This light that is shining in my face right now is there. It is not there and not there at the same time. How do I know? It's just rationality. It's just, I understand that. Rationality says that for every cause, there's an effect. For every effect, there's a sufficient cause. So whenever things happen, you look for what happened behind it. Why? Because of rationality, because we can think through things. Rationality is a big, big category in our understanding of God. And then here's the guy right there. He's skiing. That's the best one I have for experience, things you've had in your life. Probably would have been better to get another prayer guy. Uh, somebody praying because that's more relevant towards our thinking about God. But everything that we have experienced in the past uh, helps us in understanding God. So I'm going to put an E by this. Okay, so there's experience. And then we move to the next one, which is, uh, excuse me, uh, there's the heart. That's the emotions. So I'll put an E-M there, E-M. Emotions, once again, just how you feel. Just how, how do I, what do I want to happen? What are my emotions driven me towards? What do I love? What do I hate? Um, all of these things come into play, and they're all very complicated, obviously. So you've got all these things, and you're trying to figure out what is my authority in my life. And again, you could start by saying, I am my authority. But what is your authority for who you are? You do not come from a blank slate. You do not su you're not suddenly who you are. Your thoughts don't come out of nowhere. They come out of something. They come out of your experience, your emotions, your tradition, your rationality. All of these things play into who you are. And therefore, you figure out why it is that you that, that, that you and, and you are responsible for what you do before God. Uh, if there is a God, let's let's assume maybe there's not. Let's say if there is a God, you are responsible to him, if there is. If there's not, then you're not responsible to anybody. There's there's None of these things really matter because none of them add up to anything. None of them push towards anything. This It's kind of an unexamined life at that point. doesn't really matter because everything, you, you're no different than a rock. You really are not. You may live in a cognitive dissidence where you think you're more if you don't believe in God, but you're not. I mean, it's the same thing. Your, your worth is the same as a rock's worth. Your actions are the same as skipping a rock across the ocean. It doesn't matter. So we're, whenever we talk about a Christian worldview, though, we have something different. Of course, we have God. 
and we're trying to figure out how to place these things. And then we've got the Bible. So the Bible right now is on the stage of truth. And what we're going to try to do, I'm going to get rid of the, the uh, letters here. What we're going to try to do, why didn't they go away? Go away. Maybe they'll eventually go away. There we go. Uh, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to set these up. I'm going to go to the Bible here. Make it smaller, just kind of the same size as the rest of them. And then we're going to go to each one of these, and we're going to put them on this stage. So there goes the family, which is tradition, church, everything else. Here goes your rationality. It's on the stage of truth. And then also your experience. We're going to put that on the stage of truth. And then finally, we're going to put your emotions on the stage of truth. And then I've just kind of shuffled them here. You know, doesn't matter what place we have them in right now because we're trying to figure out what is the most authoritative. Now, you may start and you may say, well, here's my stage of truth. Let me give you an example here. Here's what some people think their stage of truth is. They think I'm just rational. I just, I use my mind and my mind alone. I don't have anything else influencing me. That is bunk. That is bunk for everybody. It doesn't matter how smart you are, what your IQ is. If your IQ is high, you ought to know better than this, but nobody has a stage of truth that looks like this. They like to think they do sometimes because they think for some reason, this is an elevated stage of truth. This is the most smart one. This is the most rational one to go to because it only has rationality, but there is not a stage of truth in the world. There's not a person in the world who actually functions like this. And let's put, let's put together our stage of truth and how a Christian's stage of truth should be. Bible is the primary authority. It's what, if we believe the Bible is from God, it, it, God inspired the Bible. That's what inspiration means. Inspiration means that God took the thoughts of man while using the thoughts of man in the circumstances of man, somehow worked together to where the, what was produced in every book of the Bible was exactly what God wanted to communicate, not only to the person at the time and the people the person was writing to, but to all of us to be able to see a big picture of him. So we learn from the Bible. It's not uh, the interpretation of the Bible is not always easy, but some of it is very, very simple and straightforward about God and about who we are and about what he has done for us. The Bible is at the front of the stage of truth in this sense, that if the Bible speaks clearly on something, then it is the authority. It is the the primary authority is the final authority. That's what we say in, in uh, theology. We talk about sola scriptura means the Bible is the ultimate authority. Sola scriptura does not mean the Bible is the only authority. You don't wipe out all these other things on the stage of truth. Um, you can't. I mean, <laughs> you, you may think the Bible is the only thing on your stage of truth, but that is not true. I mean, you interpret the Bible through your mind, through your emotions, through your past, through your experience, everything else. They all function together. But the Bible, if it is the word of God, what we're basically saying that what we're saying that God knows everything. And when he communicates, he communicates right truth. He doesn't communicate falsehood. There is no failure in him. He doesn't make mistakes. If he's omniscient, meaning he knows everything, then 
then we can look to the Bible and say, well, the what is written in the Bible is true. It can correct everything that I understand. It can shape everything that I understand. So that is what we mean when we use the term sola scriptura. That is a Latin phrase that came out of the 16th century Reformation. And as Protestant Christians, I, I understand Catholics do not believe in sola scriptura because they believe tradition as represented by the church, the magisterial authority of the church, uh, the the councils, the 16 ecumenical councils, uh, and, and if the Pope ever says anything ex cathedra, those things are authoritative. Tradition is authoritative. But I'm setting that aside because I'm not a Catholic. I don't, I don't believe tradition is inspired. I do not believe that God is using prophetic-like people to interpret the Bible for us or to tell us what is going on or to update things in culture. I do not believe that. I, I don't mind believing it. It's not as if I'm completely against it. If God wanted to do that that way, fine. It's nothing outside of his character. He already had prophets. He already had apostles. Uh, so it would be within his character. But for some reason, um, there has not been any any uh, prophetic authority since the last apostles, I believe. That's what I believe. I could be wrong, but I, it'd be hard to convince me because I've been through, I've, I've talked a lot about it, studied it quite a bit and considered it, but uh, did not ever go that direction. So the Bible is the final authority. I believe in Sola Scriptura. So I put it at the front of the stage of truth. Now, how else do I move things around? Well, let's put, uh, I but reason, remember, reason is incredibly important. I mean, it's not as if you can interpret the Bible. It's not as if you say, well, I don't use rationality. I just use the Bible. You might say, well, how do you interpret the Bible without rationality? I mean, rationality is a is a essential, fundamental part of how you learn everything. And you may say, no, it's not. I just use the Bible. I'd say, okay, well, did the Bible, did the Bible teach you how to read the Bible? You know, I mean, seriously, did the Bible teach you how to read the Bible? No, it didn't. You had to start beforehand. Did the Bible teach you about a subject verb ob, object relationship in English so that you understand while you're reading how things function together and how there's not a contradiction? There's no such thing as contradictions in the Bible so that whenever the Bible says something, I will never leave you or forsake you, Christ says. If he said that, it doesn't mean also I will always leave you and forsake you. You see, rationality comes in and and is the is a fundamental part of interpreting the Bible. So we have to have rationality. So it's very influential. It's something we have to work on. It's something we have to think through and figure out how it functions within our theology. So the Bible is the front, rationality second. And then I put tradition here, at least on my stage of truth, I put it as uh, right up there with, with rationality. And the reason why I do that is because tradition is basically this. Whenever I look, let's talk about the tradition of the church. Let's talk about all the, of the great men and women who have gone before us in the history of the church and have been theologians, have, have uh, been pastors, have been leaders within the church, great examples throughout all of history. And I look through all of history and I, cause, cause we didn't just, we have a family, we have a, we have a genealogy in Christianity and we have to look back and see what that genealogy looks like to find out our DNA. We can see our DNA as we look back and we see 
uh, the line, the long line of tradition of what it is that Christians have always believed. So we look back to the great theologians. We look back to Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, uh, John Calvin, uh, uh, St. Anselm, St. Augustine, Irenaeus. I mean, just all these people throughout all of history, we look back and we say, what do they believe? Because I want to find my DNA in them. And also what we do is we we're not individualistic. We're not isolationalist. We don't say we do, we, we figure things out on our own and we don't need anybody else. That is not the way God set it up in the Bible itself. It talks about the, the church being a body and everybody having a functioning part. We're all in need of each other. We all have specific gifts. You have a specific gift right now. You listen to this, you watching this, you have a specific gift and you are an essential part of the body of Christ. Now you may say, no, I'm not. I haven't really even used my gift before. Well, I, that doesn't make you not essential. I mean, uh, you, you are very important. And whenever you are not functioning, whenever you are not engaging with this stuff, with your gift and, and serving God, then the body of Christ is missing out. We are missing out. The entire body, the historic body of Christ. Just think of uh, St. Augustine decided he wasn't going to do anything. What would that do to the history of the church and the body of Christ? It would damage it. It would hurt it. But more than that, what we do is we look back to the history of the church and we say, what has, this is, this is, um, um, called the Vincinian Canon. The Vincinian, it's great. St. Vincent of Larens. <clears throat> In the fourth century, St. Vincent had this, this statement that, that is still true today. And he's talked about what we believe, what we endeavor to believe, what we believe as Christians. Think of it, 400 years after Christ, he was asking the same questions as we are. You've never come up with an original question, trust me. Every, that's what I get whenever I study all these guys behind me, all of church history. What I do is I come to a realization that I am not alone and that every every question I've ever had, every thought I've ever had, uh, it is it is not original. Somebody else has had it, and it surprises me sometimes, especially whenever I was going through St. Thomas Aquinas. I mean, he, he went through everything in the world, asked every question in the world. It was great. I love St. Thomas, but... Um, uh, he, he just had a very active mind. The old, the old, what was the, uh, the, uh, the theological bull. Was that what we call him? No, something like, like that. It was, but anyway, um, uh, we go through all of church history and we find out what do they believe? St. Uh, uh, St. Vincent of Larens said, we endeavor to believe what has been believed always everywhere and by all. And that's a good statement. It really is. We look back upon the history of the church. We say, what has the church always believed in every community and putting it together, every one of them, all of the church together, what has it believed? And we'll find our DNA. And you can't say, it's not that the church can't be wrong that has gone before us. It's not that tradition can't be wrong. It can. It has been wrong before. And it's been very damaging. But just like reason can be damaging and wrong. But at the same time, it is part of how we come to know truth and we can't deny that. And we can't, we, we can't deny it for one, because it's just there. It's always going to be there. Your tradition is going to influence you no matter what you think. Uh, number two is it's smarter than you. 
Okay. That's the hardest thing to sum up for us to understand. But the collective wisdom that has gone before us, if God has sent his spirit to the church, if Pentecost happened, where the Holy Spirit came upon people, and ever since then, the entirety of the church has had the spirit of God, then your family is the, all of those people that have gone before you, even the ones that have messed up. This is your family. And we do mess up. Think, think of tradition like this. Whenever God, let, let's, let's start at the end of the Bible. Whenever the Bible was completed, after it was done, the last apostle died, the church has been established. We have a commission to go into the world and live godly and tell other people about Christ. Christ is our, Christ is our center. Um, Whenever we do that, we have this uh, DNA that has been given to us. So God finished the Bible, and he kind of handed us this completed DNA. And then throughout church history, this DNA turns into a person. We start as in, in our mother's womb as a zygote. And we from there, we become so we, we have our DNA, our DNA, we start with our DNA and then our DNA determines how we grow and what we become. Now, as we look in church history, I think it's the same way. We go back and we see how, who we are throughout the history. You know, we have our, our, uh, our, our years as an infant, the, whenever the church just started and we're just learning how to, how to, walk, how to talk. We're, uh, we're just learning who we, uh, you know, that we even exist. Uh, then we move into the adolescent age and the adolescence is whenever we're, you know, we're trying things out, we're making mistakes. And you can really see this in church history. If you go through church history, you can see the, the development uh, of us, just, just like the development of a person, uh, the development of the church, and you can watch and see the DNA grow and make mistakes. You become a teenager, and you uh, there's so many dumb things we do whenever we're a teenager, really. I mean, in our lives. It's still me. I look back upon myself and all the dumb things I did as a teenager. It's still me. It's still my DNA. And so whenever you look at the church, what I want you to do is I want you to look back at it and see it is your DNA, even if there's mistakes. As you as a Protestant, you don't look back and say, man, that's a Catholic church, and that's not me. Yes, it is you. I mean, these are all people who, even if they made mistakes, they're part of your family. Whenever they trust and love Christ, they may not have the same theology as you in every other place, but the essential DNA is there. They know who Christ is. He is the God-man who died for our sins and rose from the grave. I'm telling you, that's our DNA. And then you can see that develop, and it's part of how we come to know God. It's part of how we think. We have to know church history. The Bible is more important, yes, I know that. But at the same time, tradition is very important. And sometimes we as Protestants have jettisoned it because of we, we are not Catholic. We're not Eastern Orthodox. Both of those people, they live by tradition. And so we, we do not use the tradition. And that is, that is a fundamental, fundamentally wrong thing for Protestants to do. We should know church history. We should know our DNA. We should look back upon it just as much, if not more than any other tradition. So if you're a Protestant, start learning church history, start with the apostolic father, start in our infancy and look and see, I guarantee whenever you read, um, whenever you read Irenaeus, whenever you read 
St. Clement, whenever you read Ignatius, you're going to be so surprised how much they look like you. And you're going to find yourself, and I'm telling you, the stage of truth will start to work. You'll start to see how it develops, and and you'll, you'll start to see God moving through all of these things because he's the one who created all these things. This is the way we come to know God. Okay, next we move to our emotions. And our emotions are represented here by the heart. And again, I've got the emotions in the back because I'm not very intuitive from an emotional standpoint. I don't really, um, my intuition, my, my sensitivity towards my emotions is not the greatest. Uh, it's not, I'm not saying I'm an emotional, okay? I'm very emotional. Everybody's very emotional. You can't deny that. I'm just saying whenever it comes to my spirituality, God didn't create me in such a way to where I, I, I've never experienced God. I've never heard God. I've never seen God. I've never, I've never felt, a lot of people talk about how they felt the presence of God. And I don't, it's not that I don't believe you. I do. I, I mean, I think there is times, I think sometimes we fake it or we don't know we're faking it and stuff like that. That's okay. But I think there are some people that are emotionally, that, that is their purpose. That's what God has, God has developed within them. That's their gift. Their emotions are very attuned towards God. They can feel God's presence in a different way. I can't, doesn't change anything about my faith, doesn't change anything about my love for God because Christ died for me too, just like he died for you. And he loves me just like he loves you. We just have different personalities, different gifts, but I do run by my emotions. And so whenever I'm using my emotions, I do see certain things. Let me give you an example. Whenever I'm thinking, there, there's a question I put out uh, not too long ago on social media, and I said, do you think that children who die in the womb go to heaven? You know, most people are all just, yes, 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 yes. Every once in a while, there's somebody I don't know. I don't even think I saw anybody that said no. In, in the end, I, I believe it too. I think if you die in the womb or if you die very early, that God will save you. Christ's blood will apply to you. Uh, God can apply Christ's blood to whomever he wants. And if you are not able to make the choice, then I think God has automatically made the choice for you. That's my guess. And I think I'm probably right. I could be wrong. Why? Because there's nothing in the Bible that tells me that. I might be able to find a few places, you know, that says, uh, talks about children, Christ talking about children and that uh, the kingdom of God being made for people like this, children. But it doesn't tell me that that's true. But my emotions do, and I pull in my emotions, and I, I don't think my emotions are antithetical to God's emotions. Whenever God wants me to love others as he loves people, our emotions are very important. Love is an action, I know, primarily an action, but all, it is also an emotion. And whenever we love people, it's not as if we love them and our emotions are completely 180 degrees what God's emotions are. Whatever he thinks is, whatever he believes or whatever he knows is good, we believe to be wrong. Uh, we, whenever we, whatever we think to be good is going to be completely antithetical to what he thinks is good. That is not true. Now, it's true. Sometimes one of your life is really screwed up and you don't have the Bible on your stage of truth and you're, there's all kinds of things that are gone wrong. Entire societies have done what is right in their own eyes, which is different than what is right in God's eyes. But I can use my emotions to try to find out what God is like. The early church dealt with this. It's very interesting. Uh, you read some of these guys back here again um, in the in the fourth, third, fourth, fifth century. There was a time whenever people asked this very question. 
do God's emotions mirror our emotions? Or better, do our emotions mirror God's emotions? And uh, there, there was great discussion. I mean, it really is. And there's all kinds of words, theological words, and it gets so deep. I mean, just deeper and deeper and deeper with so many great, great um, uh, terminology and, and uh, a stair step down to uh, all these different options. But in the end, what all of the theologians basically said was that God is analogous to us. It's called the analogy of being, the analogy of being. And in the analogy of being, we understand that God mirrors us, that God is analogous, not perfect. We're not perfect like God, right? But uh, it's like I might point somewhere that is, um, uh, you know, 10 feet away, and I might be pointing pretty closely. I'm Right now I'm pointing at a, at a lamp. And I, th- I bet you if you drew a line from my finger to that lamp, it would hit that lamp. But what if I said, I'm going to point now to the house across the street or the front door across the street? Or if I said, I'm going to point to downtown Oklahoma City to the, uh, uh, to what's the building called? The, the Devon Tower. And you would say, okay, uh, I'm not sure if you drew, I, w- I wouldn't bet that if you drew a line from my finger all the way there, that it would hit the Devon Tower perfectly. But I think I'm going in the generally right direction. That's how it is with God. God is far away. His emotions are so much bigger than ours. He's infinite. We are finite. And when, but whenever we point, whenever our emotions point towards something by instinct, then they are we we can we can be confident as Christians that they are generally correct. God's definition of love is the same definition of love that I have. The analogy of being. God's definition of hate is the same as my definition of hate. God's definition of righteousness is generally speaking the same definition as my my definition of righteousness. So our emotions point generally in the right direction, and they are important. Some people are more in tune with their emotions, and therefore their emotions may be closer to the front of the stage of truth than mine are. I'm not saying it overtakes the Bible, but it, this this is just my stage of truth. And I think it's generally a good stage of truth to have, or at least to start with, and then to try to discover yourself, your experience. Um, let's go back here and let's talk about experience. Whenever we have the experience, we have the um, guy skiing. I, I'm sorry, it's not a great great deal of experience. It's not a great uh, icon for experience, but experience, that's kind of the same thing here as emotions. These are subjective. These are things that only happen to us. And whenever we try to figure out what God is like, we are going to look towards our experience. And sometimes this emotions and this is what most of our state of truth actually looks like. Let me show you Um, because it's so powerful. Uh, we go down and let's get rid of the Bible. Let's get rid of the culture. Let's get rid of rationality. And this is what most of our stage of truth looks like. It didn't do it on the screen. I don't know why it didn't. But just imagine that experience and emotions are the only thing on the stage of truth. The reason why I try to illustrate this is because those are the most powerful. They are. Left unchecked, emotions and experience will rule everything. And they normally do. They normally do. You don't know they are. 
Okay. I don't, I, I don't know who you are or who's watching this, but you don't know that your emotions are that powerful. You don't know that your experience is that powerful. It is what normally rules all of our thoughts. And this is what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to make it to where we are keeping these things in check. We are responsible to understand that while they should be on our stage of truth, while they are important, they are not the things that are at the front of the stage of truth. So experience has to do with what happens to you, your prayer life, right? What, if I said, who is God to you through your experience? You know, think about that. If you only had your experience to define God, what would you think? Some of you are saying, man, I'll tell you, God is so good to me and he has been so gracious and he's given me such a good life. And there's so many turns that I've made that he has corrected. And my experience tells me that God loves me. Well, that is very, very good. But at the same time, many of you have experience that is much, much different. And your experience says, man, I've been through so much hard times. I have called upon God and called upon God. I have asked him to change me. I have asked him to change the circumstances. I have asked him to stop the, the, the violence that is coming towards me on this side. I have asked him to solve the problems that are coming to me on this side with all the financial issues, whatever it may be. And you may be in the pits deeper than anybody else. And your experience is here and you've got loss and you've got death and you've got all kinds of things. God has not answered your prayer. I understand that functions within our understanding of God. I understand how powerful it is whenever God does not show up in the way you think he should or you want him to. I understand that. I've been there. I've cried out to God. I've cursed God. I've uh, I've done everything probably you have because I've I've been through the experiences of hell as well. Maybe not as bad as you. I'm not saying it's as bad as you. We all are subjective in the way we handle these problems. But how do we interpret it? Now, if you interpret it just alone and understanding, maybe maybe you you take your rationality and you say, "Hey, I'm still alive. Um, hey, um, I know bad things happen to people, but I'm not going to reject God because of that. Uh, if the Bible says He loves me, He loves me." Type thing. Uh, that that I mean, th- those are always good ways to go, but a lot of times that's very very difficult. And that's, that's when we take our stage of truth and we, we shuffle and we say, what is at the front of my stage of truth right now? What is ruling my life? And if experience is ruling your life, whether it's good or bad, that is a problem. It really is because your experience can tell you lots of things that all of a sudden fall apart sometime and make you disillusioned. Because everything has gone so well, God loves you. And that's your definition of God because your experience tells you God loves you. And then all of a sudden, crash and burn. Well, what does that do to your view of God? If experience is the primary thing on stage of truth, if it's driving your stage of truth, well, you're going to fall apart. You're, you're going to be crying out to God. And eventually, you may be disillusioned enough just to live in doubt or even say, I'm out of here. I, you know, I'm going somewhere else. I, I didn't know. I didn't believe this. Uh, I just thought I did because of my experience and my growth and my emotions and everything else, but I don't now. All of these things, experience alone is going to be in it, it. Let me put it this way. This is really good. Listen, listen, I know I'm going hundred miles an hour, but this is too much fun. Um, 
take take experience and emotions off the stage of truth. Just do that in your mind. Let's say you just have the Bible, tradition, and rationality on your stage of truth. If you had both of these gone, experience and emotions, um, let's see here. Where did, where did the, oh, there we go. If you had both, it doesn't show up on my screen. I don't know why. But anyway, if you had both of those gone, experience and emotions, then you would lose color to your life. Think of it turning black and white if you lost experience. Think of it if you lost emotions of it turning two-dimensional. These things are so important because they make our lives colorful. Emotions do. Experience makes our life three-dimensional. And so it makes our spiritual life three-dimensional. It makes our relationship with God three-dimensional. And so we do keep these on the stage of truth, but they are not the determining. What if the Bible says that's at the front of the stage of truth and you you don't have that at the front of your stage of truth, but it, whenever you go to it, it says that in this life you will experience trouble. Experience trouble. So therefore your experience, you're going to go through hell on this life. Um, if you are persecuted the same as Christ, rejoice. Uh, there's so many passages in the new Testament about how we will go through hell and that God is there. But if you don't have the Bible telling you that, if it's not prepared you for that, your experience may tell you something wrong about God. And so we have to set up our stage of truth, the very least where the Bible is at the front of the stage of truth. And all of this to say, let's see how long we've gone about an hour here. All of this to say that the Bible is our authority. It is our final authority. It is it is the ultimate authority. So I, I hope you've enjoyed this. Let's see here. We got a question here. It is very interesting to think through these things again after changing traditions. Years ago, when you had this talk, I could have sworn I, I had everything down pat and wouldn't change. Yeah, that is true. I mean, these things shuffle, don't they? It is something that is well, you, you have it set up as you grow up because your tradition, your tradition sets this stage up and your emotions. Your, both of those set this stage. They're, they're, everything on here is just so powerful and it's going to be so individualistic. Everybody's going to be different. Everybody is needed in the body of Christ. However, your stage of truth is set up, as long as the Bible is at the front, then I want you to develop in the other areas and to see how it is that God wants you to function. But here's the final, here's the final thing that I'm saying with this is that no matter what, God speaks to us through all of these, all of them. But the final and ultimate authority is the Bible. It is the ultimate authority for our spiritual life. That is back to sola scriptura. And this is where do we go for truth? Where do we go for truth? We go for all these things. We set up our stage of truth and we try to understand what God is telling us through all of these things. But the Bible is the ultimate authority. If the Bible says it, no matter what tradition you're in at this point, I can say this. If the Bible says it and you've interpreted it right, it is true, okay? So that's true for every Christian, Eastern Orthodox, Protestant, Roman Catholic. We all believe the Bible. 
We all believe the Bible is God's word. We all believe whenever the Bible is read and taught and understood, this is the way that God, this is a primary way that God talks to us. And it is the final ultimate authority. So what am I trying to get you to do? I guess I'm trying to get you to read your Bible for one, but for another, I just want you to know what you're doing whenever you read your Bible. Whenever you look at the Bible, whenever you whenever you have this stage set up and the Bible says something, but your emotions say something else, or the Bible says something in your tradition or your experience, or your rationality says something else. One of them's wrong. Um, one of those things is wrong. Now, there there is some complicated things that I could talk about, but you know, we've got an hour, but the complicated things about uh general revelation and how that interacts with rationality. Psalm 19 says that God has written a second book, and that is the creation. We've already talked about creation. Uh, creation is something that uh, we look at and we find God in. So we could have creation on this stage of truth as well, call it a general revelation, but I'm I'm putting that through rationality right now. Uh, but that's always going to be true as well, as long as you're interpreting it correctly, because God doesn't make mistake in his second book. When he recreates the stars, we interpret those and we try to understand God and uh, creation and the cells and everything that we see, but it's all about interpretation. But in the end, the Bible speaks to us about our spirituality. It tell, God tells us very specific and direct things in there about what to do, how to live, and what he wants from us. And he, whenever he speaks in there, he's, he's speaking for our own good. It is the authority. The Bible, God is our authority. And everything that God says is our authority. So where do we go for truth? We go to God, but how does God communicate to us? This is the way he does. Keep the Bible at the stage of truth. Make sure you're reading it. Make sure you work on interpretation and and understanding how to interpret the Bible, because I can just throw you the Bible in your lap and you start reading it. And it's a pretty dangerous book if you don't know how to read it. So Go to credocourses.com and uh, check that out. We've got uh, how to interpret the Bible there. It'd be very, very helpful, uh, the how to interpret the Bible at credocourses.com. Uh, once again, if you if you uh, become a member of Patreon, then you'll have access to this. I think it's the nine. Uh, I think you'll have access at every level to some part of the how to study the Bible course on credo courses it'll give you the information once you become a member but that's that's the way to do it i want you to learn how to interpret your bible i want you to know that the bible is the final and ultimate authority in all things so i'm going off uh with this one i thank you guys for joining us and we will talk again theology 